Let us pray. Holy God, send your spirit to us in this time and in this place, that the words that we speak, the words that we dwell upon, that the words that you implant in our hearts might change us to serve you more faithfully and more joyfully. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Our gospel reading is from the gospel according to John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. Hear this scripture story. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hands in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Back in the Dark Ages, my childhood Sunday school class learned a song. Uh, forgive my voice if it cracks a little bit. Why worry when you can pray? Trust Jesus, he'll be your stay. Don't be a doubting Thomas, rest fully on his promise. Why worry, 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 worry when you can pray? Nice. 
a happy, clappy little tune. My apologies, choir. But here's the thing. The happy little sentiment of that song, while there is certainly truth in it, it belies the real mood of the story that John tells of the evening of the resurrection. You see, in the few short days between Jesus' betrayal and trial and crucifixion, Resurrection earlier that day, and now in this locked room, the world as the disciples knew it had been upended, turned upside down, shaken, spun around, and thrown high into the air without a cushion to land on when it hit the ground. It was a terrifying amusement park thrill ride without the amusement or the thrill. Mary Magdalene had not only stared open-mouthed and teary-eyed at the empty tomb that morning, thinking that Jesus' body had been stolen, she'd been dumbfounded when the risen Jesus actually appeared to her. Now, of course, she had to tell this great news to somebody because good news is not quite real until you do. And though other gospel accounts, such as Luke, say that the men thought that the news was a woman's idle tale, John doesn't explicitly say that the disciples didn't believe her, but the implication is that they didn't. What John does say is that they were fearful as they hunkered down behind locked and bolted doors fearing what the authorities responsible for killing Jesus might do to them. They could very well be next. Can you imagine the intensity of that fear? I'm not sure I can. I have never been under lockdown. But post-Columbine, post-Sandy Hook, post-Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, maybe today's students and teachers in our schools can imagine the fear that makes you lock yourselves inside. But that's exactly what the disciples did that evening. They put themselves under lockdown. Potent fear, indeed. Maybe the closest I've gotten to witnessing that kind of fear was during clinical pastoral education. The facility where I was a chaplain had a resident with a form of dementia, and she lived in dread all the time. Every day of every week, every minute of every hour, she would sit in the hallway near the nurse's station panicking cowering in fear that someone was hiding just around the corner, ready to harm her. She was terrified. And there was nothing I or anyone could do about it. My best words couldn't reassure her. My presence couldn't calm her. Our collective protection of the staff couldn't allay her worst fear that no matter who it was she imagined, they were ready to take her life. I could only hope 
and pray that Jesus would miraculously step through that dementia that trapped her fear deep inside and free her spirit with the breath of God's spirit and his declaration of peace just like he would with the disciples under lockdown. They didn't believe Mary Magdalene's testimony either until they saw Jesus for themselves and received his deep and abiding peace. Now it's curious to me that Thomas wasn't even in the house at that time It's one of those gaps in the story that I would love to know more about. What was he doing instead? Why wasn't he huddled with the others? Did he fear the authorities so much that he wouldn't risk being seen with a large gathering of disciples? Had he heard Mary Magdalene's news and written her off as overly dramatic or seeing things? Or was it simply that his grief was so great that he just couldn't bear to be around anyone else? While we may not know the depth of the disciples' fear at that time, we do know our own fear. And many, if not all of us, know the pain of deep grief. When the one you've pinned your hopes on The one you've emulated and followed and, yes, loved so deeply, dies. We know the disorientation that follows, the disequilibrium, the blurring of one day into the next, the sadness and the despair. We know what that's like. And we know the fear and the uncertainty that accompany profound grief. What will we do now? Will life ever be good again? Will our own spirits ever come alive again? In the midst of that grief, people we care about give us words of encouragement. But often we are not ready to receive them. They say, you'll get through it. It'll get better. Life will go on you will be happy again. And we reply, yeah, right. I don't believe you. Prove it. We are not ready. Not at all. We are Thomas. And Thomas is us. After Jesus appeared to the disciples and they went and found Thomas, they said, we've seen the Lord, he's alive, to which he retorted, prove it. Unless I see his wounds, I will never, underscore, bold, all caps, never believe it. You see, Thomas is beautifully and unflinchingly honest. He does not believe, he cannot believe, he is not ready. Paul Simpson Duke writes that Thomas' refusal to believe his friends is the fruit not of intellectual skepticism, but of absolute anguish. The world's evil is monstrous, and if the Christ whom it killed is not scarred by it and bearing it in newness, then nothing matters. 
Thomas needs more than to hear that his Lord is alive, more than to see him. Thomas needs to touch his wounds because he hurts so much that without that, he cannot believe, and without that, he'll never believe. Have you ever hurt that much? It seems to me that the world does. The signs are all around us. The proof is right before our eyes. In rising diagnoses of anxiety and deepening depression, in fractured relationships, in the reckless abuse of power, in the collective psyche of entire communities that have seen opportunity vanish and inequality rise, in the rhetoric of fear-mongering and both unacknowledged and overt racism, in the deepest losses of life. Where is your hurt? Where is your anguish? Where is it so hard for you to believe? Thomas is indeed us, to which I say thank God. Because if Thomas is me and you and us, then there is also hope for me and for you and for us and a way forward into newness of life. And it's Thomas that shows us the way. In today's story, between the punctuation mark that ends verse 25 and the very first word of verse 26, one entire week goes by. Seven whole days for Thomas to live with his profound grief, 168 hours for him to defiantly disbelieve, 10,080 minutes that Thomas is unable to trust that what his dearest friends have told him is true. And yet, and yet when the disciples gathered back together a week later in the same house, behind the same doors, Thomas came back. Despite his refusal to believe, Thomas showed up. And maybe, just maybe, that was the most radical thing of all that he did. He simply showed up among the gathered friends of Jesus. Maybe he didn't know what else to do. But it was enough to do because it was Jesus who did the rest. It was Jesus who then came in the midst of them to give Thomas exactly what he needed in order to come to Easter faith the offer to touch the wounds he still bore, and the encouragement to believe. And he did this in full view of the other disciples so that they too could bear witness to what he had done. Showing up matters for us. Showing up enables us to receive the support and love of the community around us. It's where Jesus shows up. Remember those words from Matthew? That where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Simply showing up is an act of trust that Jesus will indeed be present. 
And it also matters that we show up for those around us who are hurting. This was made very real to me when my brother died unexpectedly a few months ago. And I was on the receiving end of that showing up. People showed up just to be with us in our time of need, and boy, did we need that. One of my brother's friends asked me, someone from another faith tradition, so does this challenge your faith? Or does your faith give you comfort? It gives me comfort, is what I told him. Absolutely. And it is also true that it challenges my faith. How does one hold on to the hope of resurrection when what we are experiencing in the moment is painful and makes us unable to see? You see, that is the nature of faith, even Easter faith, to hope and struggle at the same time, because both matter. Elizabeth Johnson says that in order to claim Easter faith, people today need to see Jesus' wounds just as Thomas did. People are waiting to see the marks, she writes, but they're not looking for the marks in Jesus' hands and side anymore. They wait instead to see the marks of the church, the wounds in our hands and our sides, the evidence that we really are connected to the Jesus who was crucified and raised. For all that we hear about the sophistication of modern people, they're much more willing to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead than that his death and resurrection mean anything for their lives. In other words, the scars that we, the church, bear are the sign for others. That what Jesus did on behalf of the world gives life for them too. May our wounds not be the self-inflicted ones. The self-inflicted ones from internal discord or fear of our own decline but may they instead be the ones that we get from showing up and living the gospel. The blisters on our feet from marching for justice, the cramp in our hands from writing and advocating for those who have been forgotten, the tear-filled eyes weeping with those who weep, the aching arms handing food and provisions to those in need, and even the hoarse vocal cords from singing loudly enough for the whole world to hear, Jesus loves you, this we know, for the Bible tells us so. May the marks, may the wounds that we bear be the ones that come from showing up and being present with those who hurt, who grieve, who despair, or even lash out in anger. And when what, the one who hurts is you, when you're the one who struggles to understand, to experience some measure of faith, when you're the one whose fear overwhelms, the risen one comes to you to touch your wounds and to heal them and to live into the hope of Easter that death does not have the last word.
but through God's saving work in Jesus, there is indeed new life for all. Thanks be to God. Amen.